Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello, welcome to this Sandbox Story, which is an interview with one of the most interesting people in my life, Lex Hendricks. Lex is a student at Northern Kentucky University, and he's become a bit of a family member through his friendship with our daughter, and is joining me because I really appreciate his incredible capability to demonstrate to others a true sense of love and compassion. My goal with this Sandbox Story is to have a little bit of Lex rev off on you. Lex, welcome to Sandbox Stories. Thank you. I'm really thrilled to have you here. Are you excited? I'm excited. I've been I've been wanting to be on the podcast for a while. All right. Well, let's get started like this. When I first met you, you had taken time away from your college studies to participate in the Disney College program. Why did you pr- decide to pursue that? Well, I always really liked Disney and wanted to branch out of um my kind of like neck of the woods to see what all else what else the world kind of had to offer and i was studying performing arts at the time so i thought that disney would be a great place for me to pursue my studies and i also kind of needed a break from school so what better place to go than disney those are all good reasons but when you get to the disney college program it's uh, it's not all fancy is tell us a little bit about it uh, they advertise it a lot differently than it really is. Like, it's still fun. It's still magical. It's still, like, really cool. But sometimes it can be really exhausting to accommodate everyone that comes to Disney. Um, So it was just a little bit more different because I'm not really used to working in hospitality or... um serving people. So it was a lot different for me. You know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast take care of eye care patients and they serve the public. And what people don't realize is that some of your duties in the Disney College program are loading people on roller coasters or, you know, some people actually are Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. But there are a lot of people who just cook French fries or flip grilled cheese sandwiches too. Um, What kind of things did you do at the program? Um, I got to do a lot of different things. I worked in food and beverage for a while, Uh, worked in outdoor vending. So I got to sell a lot of cool things that you see at Disney, like a lot of the souvenir type things, a lot of the ice creams and novelty items like that. Um, And I got really close with entertainment. I got to audition for Finding Nemo the Musical at Animal Kingdom. So that was really cool. Yeah, it had to be fun to go through that process. You're originally from Kentucky, and uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about those early years of your life in Kentucky. Um, Well, Kentucky is a lot different from Orlando. It's a really, my roots come from all over Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, Central Kentucky. Um, 
really a lot of Kentuckians aren't afforded the same opportunities as people in Orlando. Um, I grew up in central Kentucky in Frankfurt. And now when I'm off campus, I live in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, um, on a 50 acre farm with my grandparents. Um, I really love, I really love Kentucky. I'm really glad that I was able to kind of grow up in between the city and the country. Both aspects have their perks. Um, in my early years, I had a lot of fun, um, specifically looking, playing with my animals outside. And, uh, I liked going on adventures and picking up frogs off the ground, putting them in my pocket and stuff like that. <laughs> Lots of Kentucky things, not really <laughs> Northerner things. So, yeah. That's awesome. You enjoyed being a rural kid. Now, one of the things that I learned about you is that you're an autistic person. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your neurodiversity. So... Autism is on a spectrum, which means that there are people on the autism spectrum who have very high support needs, and there are people who have really low support needs at times. And anyone can fall anywhere on that spectrum at like any given time, depending on the situation at hand. So for me, a lot of my struggles are social. I have a hard time kind of making friends or understanding like what makes a joke funny or I struggle with like regulating my feelings sometimes. I have a lot of really intense feelings like all at once. Um, I also struggle with like anxiety in situations. I don't like loud places, crowded places. I don't like bright lights and sensory processing is a lot different than the people around me but I think that that also I don't really see that as a negative thing though because some people think that like their disability is like a negative thing but I just think that it's more of an opportunity for me to be different and experience the world differently than other people and I really I'm proud of who I am I'm proud of the way that I experience things, even if it's even if it's different, because some people say that, you know, I'm incapable of love. People like me are incapable of love. That's not true. Just because we show it differently, just because it doesn't fit other people's box doesn't mean that we don't show love. We just do it in a sort of a different way. That's really well said. Help us understand what people don't understand when they're working with somebody that is autistic, they don't know it. And um, that autistic person may be reacting in a particular way. What would you like particularly you know, eye doctors and people who um, maybe provide you healthcare to understand about you? Because you're, you're like every other person in every other way. But what, what can we do to better help you and understand what your needs are? I think something that a lot of people don't consider when working in the healthcare field is that 
when you're when you are providing health care to an autistic person, it really helps to tell them exactly what you are doing in the visit step by step, letting them know, because if you go into a situation just doing something, it can be really, really scary for people who may not know what that um, routine is like. And some a lot of autistic people really thrive on routine. Maybe they've rehearsed how a visit is going to go in their head, but if it's any different than what they expect it to, it can cause a lot of stress and anxiety and panic. And everyone is different. Once, once you have met an autistic person, you've met one autistic person. No one is the same ever. Everyone reacts differently to situations. You may have patients who don't talk. You may have patients who do talk, but situationally they can't. They shut down in situations. I think the best way to be a helper is to ask what what do you need from me? And the best way to show that you care about someone is to help them with it. That's great advice. You have used a particular form of language as we've been talking, and you have a clear point of view about how language should be used to talk to people. And I'd like you to help us understand what person-first language is and why you're not a big fan of it. So person-first language means that you're essentially separating a person verbally from their disability. So you would say like a person with... Um, so, okay, well, you work in the, you work in the eye field, so there might be patients that are blind, but person first language would be like person with an, a seeing, a sight impairment, or like a person with autism, a person with a hearing impairment, but I, I did a lot of research on identity first language, which really empowers disabled adults. And really what it is, is it's saying like, this is a part of who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. It's not something that I should want or need to be separated from. When you see doctors and healthcare workers, their mind usually goes to person first because they kind of see those things as negative things that someone would want to be separated from. But when I see you, I don't say that you're a person with a degree, I say you're an eye doctor because that's who you are and you're proud of where you come from. And I'm proud to be an autistic person. I don't want to be a person with autism because if I were to separate that from who I am, I wouldn't be the same person. I'd be somebody completely different. And really, people try to say that like, it's politically correct to use person-first language, but I say the opposite because it was made by abled people for abled people to not feel uncomfortable by saying words like autistic or disabled. I don't see those as bad qualities in a person. I see those as empowering words. So it's not that a person who uses person-first language is necessarily doing it out of disrespect. You just think that it's likely that a disabled person would prefer to have that used as part of their identity 
And there may be times where person first language is okay, but most of the time identity first is more ideal. Help, help give us additional guidance. So really it depends on the community that you're working with. If you're working with autistic people, the rule of thumb is that they prefer the word autistic other than person with autism. That's not to say that everyone would prefer that. And it might be best to have a conversation with your patient ahead of time to ask, what do you prefer? But if you're working with somebody who has Down syndrome, you wouldn't say a per you wouldn't say a Down syndrome person. That might sound a little silly. So you say a person with Down syndrome or a person with ADHD. But communities like autistic people, deaf people, blind people, um, those communities specifically prefer identity first language when you're working with them. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure that somewhere in this process tonight, I could look back on this recording and find a place where I maybe said it in a way that wasn't ideal. And I think the most important part of anything you've taught me is just become aware of it and to strive to you know, get better and have a conversation with whomever you're speaking to best understand what helps them be comfortable. And I, I love that you have helped me get better at it. I really have. There are these sort of power barriers that have existed that still exist and will exist for a long time until people have really important conversations with one another about how we should respectfully address things like this, how we should refer to people, what kinds of things we should be talking about in regard to disability and like this intersectionality between disability and identity among other things, because, you know, if you're talking about a person's race and you say a Hispanic person, a black person, those are empowering things. If you're talking about a person, if you're talking about a tall or a short person, you don't say a person with a height difference, you say, you know, a tall person or a short person. And so for us to have these conversations and not assume what someone would want but rather ask them and inspire them to talk about it is it it shouldn't be but it's almost revolutionary it shouldn't be a revolutionary act to say this is who i am but because these conversations don't happen a lot i think it really is in a way in the last 5 or 10 years um our society has increased in its willingness to accept the lgbtq community and there's a long way to go. And I'd love for you to give us a little bit of a sense of your experience of transitioning. Yeah, so I'm a transgender person, um, which means that I was born biologically, I was born as a girl, but I transitioned, I came out when I was 13. And when I came out, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about um, the LGBTQ community gay people existed obviously lesbian people existed but transgender people that that wasn't really like a term that was really thrown around as much as it is now when people are coming out and i want to say that in my experience really as sad as it is i almost avoid doctors because a lot of them don't understand or ignore my requests um 
to be referred to with a different pronoun or a different name that might be in their system. And again, I'm from Kentucky. I'm not from Orlando. In Orlando, that would be, you know, way more accepting than it would be in like a southern state like Kentucky or a southern small town like where I'm from. But a lot of people like me, like I said, those power barriers also exist within the LGBTQ community because transgender people, especially, you know, don't get the kind of health care that they deserve um, and the respect that they deserve from health care providers simply by being who they are. Like, let's say if, if I were to go on testosterone and physically transition, I've socially transitioned, but I haven't physically transitioned yet. If I were to walk into a doctor's office and them not know that I had physically transitioned, that would strike up a, a conversation that may result in me having to find a different doctor because they could refuse to treat me. Um, and that's with all healthcare providers, dentists, eye doctors, anyone really could say, I don't believe in this, so you're gonna have to find somebody new. And if you're from if you're from a small town, if you have a disability, for me, like accessibility is everything because I don't drive because of my disability yet. I'm hoping to get there eventually, but let's say that there was only one office accessible to me and they don't believe in who I am. And they've just said that they don't want to treat me anymore because I'm a transgender person. Well, now I have to call around, find a new eye doctor, find a new um, healthcare provider and like Uber or Lyft all the way there, which can cost even more money. So I think it's really important to treat people with dignity and respect and to also the same way that you shouldn't assume how someone would want to be referred to in regard to their disability, maybe not assume what pronoun that they might prefer. It might be helpful if you, if you have like an intake form that you have people fill out before they see you. Maybe you could say, what's your pro what are your pronouns? Do you have a preferred name that's not in the system? It, if they have a disability, maybe ask them in what way they would like to be referred to as. Yeah, and more and more uh, healthcare record systems allow clinics and hospitals to document preferred names and gender identity and pronouns. And on the topic of pronouns, that seems like that's an emerging and evolving topic. To your point, it's supported in various parts of the country and it's not supported in other places. I don't want to call out one place versus another. It's just, it's much more emerging, but it's been something that I'm sure you've had to deal with a lot. And I, I find it interesting, like when somebody gets married and say a woman takes a man's last name, everyone's very quick to refer to them with that new name, but it, it doesn't sort of happen that way in, in the transgender community. And I, I guess I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about how that's made you feel if it's not been said right. Well, I feel like if people are if people are going out of their way to um, address me incorrectly, then that really shows their disrespect to me. Um, and 
I try to avoid those individuals as much as possible. And I'm not a confrontational person. So correcting them does not come easy to me. But if it if it keeps happening over and over again, I will say something. I will hint around and say, you know, like, actually, I use male pronouns. Um, and most of the time, people are respectful about that. And they honor that as they should, especially as an adult, you know, who understands. But um, there have been people who have been kind of hurtful about the whole thing, even people, even, even family. Um, and that's really sad because, um, as you said, if it were anything, if it were any other kind of name change that didn't have to do with, you know, a person's identity, gender identity or sexuality, then yeah, people want to come around and accept it. But, um, I just think that I think that it all depends on how people believe about certain things is, you know, I don't believe in, I, or if people are like, oh, I don't believe in the LGBTQ community or movement, then they refuse to use a person's correct pronouns. And a lot of people want to make excuses for those people by saying that, you know, back in their day, there was no such thing as transgender people. In my opinion, there were such thing as transgender people, but they were killed. You know, they were ostracized and beat to death for being who they were. And you may not, you may not get to pick where and when you grew up, but you do get to pick how you view the world and you can pick and choose your beliefs as you grow as a human being. So I don't really think that excuse is very valid, in my opinion. I appreciate you sharing it that way. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing at your university. You're doing some really interesting work, and I think it would be fun for you to help us understand what you've been went up to. So um, I've been going to this university. This is my fourth year here. I originally started out as a musical theater major here for a year and a half, then took the semester off for Disney, then came back and decided that I wanted to start teaching. So I'm a double major in elementary and special education. Um, most people call it or know it as special education. I prefer to call it like accessible education or just education um, <laughs> because it feels a lot less like patronizing. I don't really think there's anything special about needing to be accommodated and treated fairly. Um, but I, I am studying to be an educator. I would really like to work with um, kindergarten, hopefully, when I get my placement for student teaching or observations. Maybe I'll be put in kindergarten. Um, but now for work, um, I'm the undergraduate assistant for a program here on campus called the SHEP program. It stands for the Supported Higher Education Project. And really, that is a program that is rooted in inclusion and um, helps adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities transition into college and make friendships. Um, they select a focus area of study, and there are peer mentors that sign up to help the students. And students can earn a micro-credential by volunteering to work with the students. 
and my roommate is in the program. He's my best friend. And I love what I do. I love my job. Um, I love the people I work with because they're like-minded. They're like family to me. Um, and my job is to make them feel as welcome on campus and um, as empowered as possible. That's a great, great statement, Lex. I'm proud of what you're doing there. I'd also like to talk to you about what you've enjoyed in your life through uh, the teachings of our old friend from PBS, Mr. Rogers. I've never met anybody as passionate about the teaching of Fred Rogers as you. Um, I know it all starts as a child and, it, you know, we all get sort of anybody who learned from him as a child feels great about the things that we saw and learned. But you've taken it to another level of awareness of the many things that he did in his community. Tell us a little bit about what you enjoy about his life and teachings. Well, when I was younger, I had a lot of big, big feelings. Um, I still have a lot of big feelings. But the difference is now is that I have appropriate expression for them. And when I was younger, I didn't have really an outlet to express how I felt. And so it was really hard for me to kind of express and verbalize how I felt, why I felt that way. And Mr. Rogers always had a way of making me feel so seen. Um, in a world that just kind of flew by and I fell into the cracks many times, even with the people that loved and raised me and everything. I think that Mr. Rogers had a way of making me feel like I was the only person in the whole world that he was talking to, even though he was talking to a million people through the TV. I thought genuinely that Mr. Rogers was talking to me and I didn't have very many friends. And I always said that Mr. Rogers was my best friend um, because he would tell me every day on TV that he liked me just the way I was and that I didn't have to do anything sensational for people to love me. And I think that especially as you grow and as you get older, it's really hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that you don't have to do anything sensational for people to love you, especially in a world that's rooted in bringing others down and talking about other people in a negative way. It's almost like, you know, the, the world has a way of bringing such negativity in our lives. But Mr. Rogers was the exception for me always. And I knew like when I grew up that I wanted to be like him. I didn't want to be him because I knew that there there's only one Mr. Rogers and I would come up short no matter how hard I tried. But I knew I wanted to be like him because he had such a way of explaining things in a way that I could understand. And he just had these quotes and words that I didn't quite understand when I was younger, but I look back on them now and I really try to recycle um, the way his teachings. I try to I try to recycle his teachings into my own personal teaching philosophy, which is anti-behavioral. 
I'm completely against behaviorism. I don't believe in rewards and punishments. I believe in natural consequences. So if a child were, let's say if one of my students were making a mess, a lot of teachers would just jump the gun and say, well, that's it. You're staying in for recess. No more, no more of whatever activity we're doing. I don't believe in that. I believe that we should really be talking to our children. We should be getting down on their level and listening. We need to be listening as much as we are talking because we can learn way more from children than they could ever learn from us. Children don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. And so the natural consequence would be to pick up whatever mess was made because if you were an adult and you made a mess, no one would take away your recess time. You would have to clean it up and throw it away. So I believe that we should really be treating children in a way like adults. Um, we shouldn't, we, sh we should be compassionate and empathetic, but we shouldn't baby children because they know a lot more than we give them credit for. So my philosophy is to love my students, to remind them how important they are to me. And my goal, my goal isn't, my goal isn't for them to come out of my classroom as mathematicians or lifelong readers or, you know, history fanatics. I want them to come out of my classroom with the ability to love other people and for them to know that they're capable of being loved. It sounds like it's come right out of the Fred Rogers Encyclopedia. That's wonderful. You know, I promoted a bit of a hashtag about you last year, and it was uh, Love Like Lex. And this has come from my many times with you, observing your interactions with your friends, total strangers. Uh, we've had the pleasure of going to Walt Disney World together. Um, you're unapologetic in dressing as Fred Rogers. You're um, unashamed of carrying a Pooh Bear or a Tigger Bear uh, through a park and showing it to others and talking to adults and young people as though they're people. And just as you said, you're very clear that love is an absolutely critical part of life. And I wonder if you can dig deeper than Fred Rogers and kind of give me a sense of where you think your loving attitude comes from. Well, I mentioned earlier that there have been people in my life that have said that I'm not capable of, of loving other people. And I think that I had to work harder at it than maybe other people did. Um, I was loved when I was younger. Um, of course, you know, it's it's hard to kind of remember back those days because it was so long ago, but I feel that it's important for us to remind each other how much that we matter. Because when I was 17, I lost my best friend. Um, he passed away because his his heart 
was enlarged, his heart was too big for his body, and he died. And I still think that it's so crazy that he died of an enlarged heart because he had the biggest heart that I ever knew that a person could have. And when that happened, um, I felt really sad, and I almost felt like I almost felt like I didn't want to ever love anyone else because I was scared that people would leave or that I would get hurt. And so I sort of made it my mission after that to be unapologetic in the way that I show love and compassion to other people because I've been in situations with friends romantic relationships, other kinds of people where I've said that, where I've said things like, I love you. And people get so intimidated by it. And I've always wondered why are people so intimidated about my love? What is so scary about that? And I think I realized that a lot of us, a lot of us, even though we knew we were loved, even before we were born, we knew we were loved. Maybe we weren't told that enough. And so as I got older and more loving, when I started saying that more, it became more scary for people. Because when you say, I love you, people, people's minds, their minds automatically go to, oh, wow, like, you know, you're trying to marry me or some crazy stuff. And it's not like that for me. I love everyone. I love everyone I've ever met. I, I don't think there's anyone, I don't think there's anyone that I couldn't learn to love by hearing their story. Even the people that I don't like, I still love them, even if I don't like them very much. So I've been trying to carry that with me, those ideas of loving people no matter what, regardless of who they are. I am a Christian. Um, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and God's love, in, in my opinion, and, I'm, and by the way, I'm not the kind of religious person that throws my views around on other people, but I think that when, when we're made in God's image, we're made in the likeness of God, I feel like when God made me, maybe he poured a little bit more compassion a little bit more love in there than he did to some other people. And I didn't, it didn't hit me that I had those tools until something tragic happened, but I'm never afraid. I'm never afraid to tell people how much I love them and care about them ever. Even if it weirds people out, I still say it all the time. Well, as I told you a long time ago, uh, my mom, grandma Pam, used to always say that there's always room in one's heart to love another. And you really grab that. You believe in that. And I see it in the way you live your life. And as I said at the beginning of this, I want that, if at all possible, to rub off on the people that are listening and watching because um, it's easy uh, to find that opening. You made a comment, though, that there are some people you don't like, but you still love them. And isn't that interesting? We all have through actions or misunderstandings or whatever else, created enemies, uh, enemies that are on the other side of the story, somebody who believes something different than we do. Um, 
But that still doesn't mean we have to build hatred, does it? I don't think so. I think that there are still, there are people who think that, there are people in the world that think that I, I hate them or that I don't like them. That's not true. I want to see them eat. I just don't want to see them eat at my table necessarily. And when I think about the people in my life that I love, I sometimes get so overwhelmed with emotions that I start crying because I get so thankful that someone like that would be in my life. That's, I get thankful. I get thankful that somebody's thankful for me. Even sometimes I even think about Grandma Pam and I cry because I miss Grandma Pam and I had never even met Grandma Pam before. And so I think it also reminds me of when somebody, I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of a lot of friends from a lot of different places and I love them all the same, just the way they are. And a lot of my friends like to send me things in the mail. A lot of my friends like to send me letters and talk about themselves and have me answer the letters. A lot of people like to send me fun things like uh, I got a trolley in the mail, like Mr. Rogers' trolley. And I always say to those people that my favorite part about getting a gift isn't the gift itself, though I do like gifts. My favorite part of the gift is seeing the gift and knowing that somebody would have thought about me enough to do something nice for me. And then when I look at whatever it is that the person wrote or whatever it is that the person sent, I get to look at them and I get to think about them all over again. I get to think about what, what maybe they were thinking when they picked it up. Or sometimes I like to pretend. I like to sometimes pretend what people, what people were wearing when they got whatever it was, whenever they were writing or when people draw pictures, I like to think about what was going through their mind when they were drawing pictures. So I really, I really do think that we can, we always have the power to love and to be loved. That choice may not always come easy. That choice may not always come easy, but it's always a choice in what you do. That's why sometimes, sometimes when you are in a situation where you could be angry or upset, you have to take a big, deep breath and you have to think before you respond because the way that it's not your, you you can feel any way in the whole world. You can feel any way you want to feel, but it's what you do with your feelings that matters most. And as long as you aren't hurting yourself or anyone else, then you have the power to respond in a healthy way and have healthy ways of expressing your feelings. And that's why I tell all my young friends, I tell all my young friends that as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, there are so many things that you can do with the way that you feel. You can draw pictures, you can run outside as fast as you can, you could swim laps in the pool as fast as you can. And I think that sometimes adults need to hear those things too. I think it's I think sometimes sometimes adults forget um, adults forget 
that they were little once too. And I think sometimes adults sometimes take their feelings out on children because they forgot what it was like to feel a certain way or act a certain way. It's easy, it's easy to just snap without thinking about it, but we really have to think about the way that we feel, the way we respond to people, especially doctors. I know that doctors deal with a lot of doctors deal with a lot of situations. But you know, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers helped write a book a long time ago. Mr. Rogers helped an eye specialist write about how to provide eye care for young children. And he talked about how scary things can be when you're going to an eye doctor for the first time, how big things look, how, how, how many parts there are, that those big crazy things that swing down, they put your eyes in. And the most important thing that Mr. Rogers said in that book before he said anything, he said, remember, you once were a child too. And that's what Mr. Rogers said before he wrote anything else, was remember that you were once a child too. So when you're responding to somebody, whether it's a child, whether it's an autistic person who may be going through something, um, a traumatic event or something like that, you have to remember, you have to put yourself in their shoes and think, is this how I would have responded? And to handle that with as much tenderness and compassion and love as possible. Thanks for that, Lex. I know that you've been writing a blog. Before we go, is there a way that you could tell us for people that would want to check out your blog where it's at? Yeah, it's on WordPress. So it's called love it's called lovelikelex.wordpress.com. And I write okay. about all sorts of things. I write about my experiences. Um, I write about things that have happened to me, um, fun things that are going on in my life. And it's just really a way to keep my virtual community together in one spot. So there's an email list that you can join and you can add your email so you can get a notification when I put something on there. And I will put the link to that in the description of this story so everyone can get to it, okay? Okay. Are there any final thoughts? You've given us a lot of advice, um, but are there any final thoughts you have before we finish up tonight's Sandbox story? That there's no one in the whole world like you and people can like you exactly the way you are. Well said, Lex. I really appreciate you getting on Sandbox Stories and sharing your many thoughts, experiences, and your way of loving. I love you, my friend. I love you too. To the audience, thanks for attending and listening to Lex's great stories. I hope some of that has rubbed off on you. And until my next Sandbox Story... Be great at all you do.